It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, June 13th, 2018, and you're listening to God and Comics. The show that figures out where the line is, pushes past it, then establishes a new line, and then pushes past that, making you wonder why exactly they keep drawing all these silly lines in the first place. On today's show, Star Trek. We talk about one of science fiction's most nerdy fandoms and its little-known history in comics. We'll look at the enduring appeal of Star Trek comics, the legacy of Star Trek's utopian vision of the future, and the challenges that vision faces in the modern world. So go ahead and set your phasers to stun, because even though our podcast always comes in peace, we're not above pulling a Kobayashi Maru move and changing the rules as necessary. If you guys were Trek fans, you would find that hilarious. I'm your host, Deacon Jonathan Michikin. I am chaplain at St. John the 23rd College Preparatory in Katy, Texas. On the line with me today is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm the rector of St. George's Episcopal Church in Schenectady, New York. And also on the line is uh, Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I am the rector of Church of the Messiah Episcopal Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Father Kyle, good to have you back from your ninja training uh, that I told everyone you were receiving last time. So I hope that went well. It did go well. Uh, And I believe uh, that you have the recommendation this time out. Yes, Father Kyle? I do. Okay. Well, take it away. Well, the recommendation that I'm making uh, this week is a... A uh, comic book that sounds like a superhero comic book, but in fact is not a superhero comic book. It's a new series that's um, had three published issues so far, and there's a fourth one in the works at the present moment uh, by Kurt Busiek, who is one of my fa- absolute favorite comic writers today, the author of Astro City. Um, and it's written, uh, drawn by John Paul Leon, if I'm saying that correctly. And um, the comic is called Batman Creature of the Night. It's a um, uh, not a standard comic book, but sort of a short uh, graphic novel series that's come out. Um, it's, it tells the story of a Batman enthusiast named Bruce Wainwright, who um, loses his parents to a crime and proceeds to experience a um, bat-like shadow creature who begins uh, exacting justice on criminals in the city in which he lives. And, um, and the big issue that runs through the issues as, as young Bruce Wainwright grows from a child into an adult is the question of whether this Batman creature that exists, that is brutalizing criminals, is a real creature or not. It explores the Batman series and explores what it's like to be a fan of the Batman series um, through through his growth as a from a child to a young adult. Um, I think it begins sometime in the 1960s, so there's a lot of reflection on the Batman of the 1950s and 60s, and then it begins to make its move to the Batman of the 70s and the 80s as thing goes on as the thing goes on. But um, it's a wonderfully written human interest piece. Um, you know, Kurt Busiek is 
well known for that kind of writing. He really knows how to dig into a character and does a wonderful job here. Of course, there's plenty of characters that are references to characters in the Batman comic. A girlfriend named Robin, um, his uncle who is, uh, oh goodness, the name escapes me at the moment. He calls him Alfred. His real name's not Alfred, but he calls him Alfred. Um, a lot of just great pieces like that, but a well-written story, very well-written story, and um, and well-drawn story as well. So check it out. I've, I've been reading this book too, and uh, I'm gonna have to second your recommendation. It's been it's been pretty enjoyable, and and I, I, I kind of made a note to myself. I'm like, Father Kyle's gonna recommend this. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> I mean, I, I never miss anything by Kirk Busiek because. Uh, He's just phenomenal. He's one of my favorite writers in, in the comic book yeah. world. It sounds like a lot of fun. I look forward to uh, to checking that out. And now we have a special word from a special guest about our sponsors. Our special guest is Captain James T. Kirk. Church, the final frontier. This podcast is a voyage sponsored by the Living Church magazine. It's 140-year mission to seek out new life and ancient theology, to serve the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion, while also being a resource to Catholic and evangelical-minded Christians of all denominations, to boldly go where no bi-weekly magazine with a fantastic free daily blog has gone before. Captain's Log Supplemental, I have begun to read the Living Church and the Covenant blog regularly, and I'm finding that I'm far better equipped to face the many challenges of space travel than I ever have been before. And while we don't use money in the 23rd century, I'm not at too much of a disadvantage since TLC is very affordable at just $55 for 22 issues, or just $35 for an online subscription. I highly recommend that anyone hearing this log go ahead and visit livingchurch.org to find out more. Now, if you'll excuse me, there's a green woman on the planet below in need of my professional attention. Kirk out. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really nice of Captain Kirk to stop by. I, I appreciate it. Uh, what a thrill. May, may he live long and prosper. That's, uh, yeah, that was that was good. Some sort of uh, time paradox, I'm sure, that made him able to be with us. But uh, we, we appreciate that nonetheless. So, uh, well, <laughs> that will lead into our main conversation about uh, Star Trek comics. And, uh, you know, we've done a lot of stuff on, on superhero comics. We've done a lot of stuff on other uh, indie comics and stuff like that. Um, but uh, we haven't done too many of these fandom crossovers. Uh, and so I, I hope this will be the first of, of, of those because there are a lot of really interesting comic fandom uh, crossovers that exist. But uh, I want to start us out by just talking 
for a, a little bit about the history of Star Trek comics to give everyone kind of a sense of where these these come from. And I, I'm just going to throw out uh, right at the beginning here that if you are somebody who's interested in this, first of all, there's several books that have been written on the subject of Star Trek and comics. Um, so you can you can track down a couple of those. There's also a great website, StarTrekComics.info. StarTrekComics.info, which lists every Star Trek comic that has ever existed. So, and now, I mean, you know, it doesn't give you comprehensive stuff, but it'll give you the name, it'll give you the date it came out. Most of the time it has some sort of short description of it. Really great if you're a collector or if you're trying to sort of fill in the blanks about when things happened. Great site, StarTrekComics.info. We'll put a link to that in, in the show notes. My own history with this, uh, I have been a Star Trek nerd for my entire life. It was my first fandom, really. Um, I, I, you know, I can remember being four or five years old, watching Star Trek, um, really being into it. My aunt and uncle were huge Star Trek fans when I was a kid. They were, they were such big fans that they, they had a boat when I was a kid that they named the Enterprise, and they, you know, painted a picture of the Enterprise on the back of it. And it just, from the very beginning, it really struck me in a personal way. There was something about the way that Star Trek showed the world to me and, and, and showed me beyond the world, right? I mean, it was adventure, but it also, it taught me virtue <laughs> in a weird sort of way. I mean, especially in the original series, each episode was a kind of morality play. Um, and so, you know, something of that just kind of, um, lit on my brain and, and I, I've, I've, I've loved it ever since. Uh, and so I began reading the, the comics, the Star Trek comics, even as a kid, uh, collecting next gen comics and stuff like that. Uh, and when I got back into comics in my early thirties, Trek comics were, were one of the first things I really dove into. Uh, and read extensively. So Star Trek comics uh, is interesting uh, as opposed to a lot of other fandoms that have that have developed comic adaptations. Star Trek comics actually go all the way back to just after uh, the first season of the television series ended in 1967. That's when the first Star Trek comics begin uh, and these were the, the Gold Key series. Um, that may have even been the name of the company, I'm not sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Was it? Have you seen these before? Yeah, they actually had them through my library. I, it was one I was going to read, but then I um, read some stuff about it that said I'll put that on the back burner and read them later. That was a wise choice. They're very weird. They're not. <laughs> that's, uh, that's basically what the review said. Yeah, they're they're um, they were they were done to kind of capitalize on the series, but none of the creators of the comic had actually seen the series, and so like they they. <laughs> wrote the thing completely different uh they they even drew it different like you know people had the wrong color shirts on and all kinds of stuff and they just like it was it's and it's like not you know but there are people who love those books to have a real nostalgia for them and and just really in the last six eight years i think that they've actually been reprinted um but the, they ran those things all the way in 1978 so they were you know they were very popular for a period um, there was also a comic strip, Star Trek comic strip, that ran in, in newspapers. And I, I, according to Wikipedia, it only ran from 1978 to 1983. 
But I remember from childhood reading the Star Trek comic strip every week in the newspaper, which wouldn't have been possible. I was only three in 1983. Um, so uh, I, I'm an advanced reader. I might have been, but uh, but not that advanced. So uh, my guess is that they probably re-ran those strips through the 80s, which they did with a number of other comic strips, um, you know, down through that time period. Um, but, you know, that was, I was always excited when the newspaper came so I, could, so I could look at those. After the gold key stuff ends in, in the late 70s, the first real effort that came in, in making Star Trek comics was in 1980 when they did a comic adaptation of Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, and from then out, they just did various series, um, and the rights for Star Trek and for making comics basically bounced back and forth between Marvel and DC, uh, both of which who would... They, they usually, what they would do is they'd get the rights and then they would create a separate imprint for just those comics. So, like, um, when Marvel had it for a while, they had Marvel's Paramount comics um, and, and, and so forth. Um, currently, IDW holds the rights, and I'm not sure, is, is, is IDW owned by one of the other companies? I'm not entirely sure. You know, IDW has been doing a lot of stuff in conjunction with Marvel recently, publishing, like, a lot of... Um, black and white books and uh, and they've done a few things with dc with too. dc yeah that's so what i'm I was not say. sure what their relationship is with them yeah well at any rate they're the ones who who currently own the rights to star trek comics and so they're the ones who are putting them out right now there have been there have been comic book versions of all of the different star trek television series including uh, i found out because i haven't read these yet but including the current star trek discovery series um there's even a manga of uh, Star Trek that, that ran for a while. So there have been a lot of these uh, series and, and with varying degrees of popularity. Um, I find that they they tend to fall into one of three categories, Star Trek uh, uh, stories and comics. Um, first is just like straight-up retellings, right? Comic book adaptations. Um, got one in front of me here is my copy of star trek six the undiscovered country yeah um so stuff like that where they'll retell uh, uh the story of a movie or retell a story of an episode or whatever um the second type is stories that fill in the blank so uh what happened between the third and the fourth movies for instance was a big deal for a while in the star trek comics uh and then once they announced the fourth movie they had to like really quickly figure out how to get the get the plot to steer in that direction um what happened between seasons uh what happened in the background a lot of that john burns stuff uh does this what was happening in the background of certain things um or uh here's i have one here that i that i like a lot that's uh it's called star trek con ruling in hell and this actually tells the story if you if you're familiar with um Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, uh, you might know that the whole thing is based around um, the original series had an episode with Ricardo Montalban as Khan and his, his uh, group of um, genetically enhanced, uh, cryogenically frozen folks uh, who tried to take over the Enterprise once they were thawed out. And uh, rather than... Uh, rather than 
putting them in prison once they the plot was foiled. Kirk decides he's they're going to leave them on this kind of rough planet to to make a go of it, which Khan thinks is a great idea at the time. Uh, well, Star Trek II, he wants revenge on Kirk, and the reason is because very shortly after uh, they were left on this planet, uh, there was a, a big uh, explosion of one of the other planets, and it messed up. And so it went from being a you know a rough planet but doable to just absolute hell, basically. Um, and so this this comic book fills in the fills in the gap. It's like here's the whole story from the moment they were left on the planet, right up to you know when he now he really wants revenge. Um, so stuff like that's kind of interesting, especially if you're a fan of the series, because then you go, ah, well, this is how this story goes. Um, the the third thing though that that shows up in Star Trek comics and that I I find the most interesting is. Uh, stories that take some element of the Star Trek mythology and explore it more fully. Um, so uh, an example of this, uh, and this is one of my, my favorite books. I'm showing you guys, of course the listeners can't see this, but um, this is called Star Trek Starfleet Academy. Can you guys see it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, so this book came out in the uh, mid to late 90s. And they, they ran about 18 issues of it. Uh, and basically what they did was they riffed off of the character Nog, who was this Ferengi guy who uh, decided he was going to go to Starfleet. But he's the only character in this book who actually is from uh, any of the other Star Trek series or anything like that. And they basically just built a whole world at Starfleet Academy around this set of uh, five or six um, characters that they invented and told all of their intersecting stories. Uh, and, it, you know, it's really interesting because you can kind of go anywhere with that. Um, that. This is not to be confused with there's been a more recent Star Trek Academy, uh, Starfleet Academy book that's actually a, um, about the characters from the most recent movies. Um, the one I'm talking about, Star, Star Trek Starfleet Academy from the 90s, they've never made, as far as I know, a graphic novel of it. Uh, and I think that's a, a huge shame. So if you want to read it, you basically have to go track down the issues. Um, but it's a great book. Uh, stuff like that or like, you know, crossovers. They do a lot of crossover stuff depending on which company had control. So like when Marvel had it in the 80s, there was something with the X-Men at one point that didn't really work very well. Um, there's a great, um, uh, as far as like IDW and DC, there's a great Star Trek Legion of Superheroes book, uh, that, uh, you know, is just a really like good combo, um, with an interesting twist wherein they, they bring together a piece of Star Trek mythos and a piece of DC mythos and explain them off of each other, uh, that I thought was really, really wonderful. Um, there's also a, a Star Trek Green Lantern crossover that happened just maybe two years ago that, that involves the, the crew from the movies, uh, the current movies. Um, so all those kinds of things. Like you can really – the thing about Trek is it's so big and it's so wide and there's like all of these 
alien races that might have only been touched on once in the show or like mentioned in passing that people can take and create like a whole civilization for. It's a very easy mythology to kind of jump into and, and establish new parameters. And uh, so I love the comics for that reason, as well as the fact that just, you know, my favorite actors never get old, right? Like they can, <laughs> they can, they can be running these, these, uh, these issues forever. So you guys have kind of varying levels of experience with, with Trek, um, which I think is probably interesting for this conversation's purposes. So Kyle, uh, Father Kyle, you really don't have much experience with Trek at all, right? No, um, not a ton. I want to say thank you for explaining Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan because it was one of the first movies that I ever saw. I saw it at a drive-in movie theater in combination with Raiders of the Lost Ark when I was six years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was interested in Raiders of the Lost Ark, a little less interested in Star Trek, although, you know, it kind of fulfilled um, some of my geeky aspirations at the time. But I don't really remember it, so it was good to... I'm glad you kind of it's, gave a little short synopsis of it's, it. It's <laughs> one of the best. It's one of the best Star Trek films, and once you realize it's basically a submarine movie, it makes so much more sense. Yeah. No, it well, is. Would, like, it's a submarine movie. It's <laughs> anyway. Go ahead. I, I was gonna say. I mean, I think that's a killer double feature. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. So, <laughs> I, I very, I have very strong memories of that of watching it, but. um the uh, no, my experience beyond that, having seen that, I've watched a few episodes of the original television series, and I always enjoyed that. Um, part of it is that I, you know, give me anything from the late nineteen sixties, and I, I just love television wise, you know, that I just love that kind of stuff. Um, so I've enjoyed that show. I have no experience with Star Trek: The Next Generation. Oh, and really? It, yeah, none whatsoever. And uh, in fact. Um, when it comes to Star Trek comic books, I was aware of their existence. And um, I just recently am rereading the Justice League International series, and I've been going back through all my old comics. And I see ad after ad after ad for DC's version of Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, which was um, a great so, book. I read that when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm aware of that. But um, beyond that, I've just been reading... Um, for the purposes of this show to kind of familiarize myself, the John Byrne New Visions um, series that he did, which was not so much a, um, and on one level it is a comic book, but on another level it's some sort of computer animation. Um, I don't even know what to call it. He he actually draws in clips from the old show and like paste them into new sequences and they're, kind they're of, photo collages that's right the word, right photo right. collages yeah. there you go and uh that's, that's different yeah it's very different but it's also it it really captures the vibe of the tv show so i kind of i really enjoyed it and to your point jonathan that it's sort of an easy mythos to slip into i think that's true i mean having read through one of the uh collected editions of that new visions um I felt like I grasped the story, and it, and it was fun. You know, there's a lot of good stuff in it. So that's mm-hmm. kind of my experience. My Star Trek uh, fandom, the peak of my Star Trek fandom was quite a number of years ago. Um, but I, I, I was, I was a, you know, a fairly big Star Trek fan at, at, at one point. And, and still, I still 
very much enjoyed Star Trek. And going back and watching some of the episodes recently, um, you know, has reignited that a bit as well as reading uh, these comics. But, um, like, I, I mean, I grew up, I watched, of course, in syndication, the original Star Trek uh, television show. Um, but also, I, I think my first exposure to Star Trek was through the movies, you know, the Rathacon, you know, uh, it, it was it stands out as one of a movie that really impressed me as as a kid, um, and I also watched not only the original series but um, the cartoon. Yes, uh, I, I, which which is great, and you could you could stream that on on Amazon, and I, I, I've watched a few of the episodes, and, and yes. even 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 uh, afflicted my kids with it. <laughs> but, all the um, original voices too yeah yeah what um, year was the cartoon uh 19 it's early 70s i want to say 72 yeah. or no, something really. like that yeah it's okay. not long after the show ended it, i mean it's beautiful it's beautifully animated and like like jonathan said it's got the original cast voices um but then um i was i was a big fan of next generation too um and i I think I probably saw that originally in syndication too. Like um, I used to watch it. They'd have ep- two episodes back to back, like before dinner or something. And I really got uh, hooked on to Star Trek: uh, Next Generation that way. And of course, um, probably when, when I was a kid was when um, Deep Space Nine came out, and and um, I remember not missing a week of that. Um, later on, I, I watched Voyager a bit, uh, um, and and I've I've always gone to I, I think I've probably gone to see every Star Trek movie uh, that's come out in the last fifteen years or so. Um, so I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm not I, I can't claim to be a Trekkie Trekkie, you know, because the level of fandom that other people have just would put me to shame. But um, I've always been a fan. And, 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 and have enjoyed it. I haven't read a lot of the comics, um, but my first exposure to Star Trek comics was um, when I was in sixth grade. Um, I had a teacher who, uh, um, who my brother and I, uh, you know, really admired and, and were close to, and, and, and um, we got him into comic books. And it was like a real validation for me that, like, this, you know, my adult teacher, you know, looking back, he's probably younger than I am now. He's probably like 20, 28 or whatever. But he's talking about comics. And we got him into comic books. And we went on a school trip to, like, the aquarium or something. And then we went to uh, lunch at the mall across the way or whatever. And there was a comic book shop. And, uh, and the kids went into the comic book shop. And he, he left with uh, some Star Trek comics, like a, a, a Next Generation graphic novel or something like that. And um, and the next the next year in the fall, he, he came up to me in the hallway and said, "You know, my wife is going to kill you." <laughs> and I was like, "What? Why?" He's like, I, "I've I've gone off the rails. I'm just buying comic books left and right. You know, I've like I'm just stacking up in my house." <laughs> 
And he ended up going to the comic convention and everything. We'd run into him at the comic book store. But his gateway into comic books was, was Star Trek. And so he shared some of the Star Trek comics with us. And, and um, I mean, I thought they were cool, but I wasn't really blown away by those books. Um, they were sort of um, comic book renditions of the next generation, which was, you know, I mean, they were they were. They were like serviceable episodes of the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right. I mean, uh, you know, and I don't remember a thing about them. Um, but in, in, in preparation for um, for the podcast, I did check out a number of Star Trek uh, graphic novels. And one of them that really uh, struck me was Assignment Earth um, by, uh, by yeah. John Byrne. And this was, this was fascinating because it's based on... You remember that episode of, of, of Star Trek? Yeah, absolutely. Which is called Assignment Earth. It was like... Um, I, I looked it up. It was, it was the last episode in the second season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, it always seemed kind of strange to me, that episode. It was like, this is almost like another TV show. Right. You know? I mean, the Star Trek characters were in it. And they were kind of slipping in this pilot for... Uh, another Gene Roddenberry uh, right. idea, right. and it was it was it was pretty cool story. It was like there was this guy um, Gary Seven, and, and he um, he gets beamed aboard the uh, Enterprise, and um, he's got this cat, and he's like you know he's really like a sophisticated looking kind of guy from you know the late sixties, and um, well he's he is on an assignment. Uh, from another planet to sort of um, shepherd Earth because you know, Earth is on the brink of these major technological discoveries, but um, ethically they're still kind of lagging behind, right? Um, and so the the start the Enterprise is like time traveling on some research, and they pick him up and and uh, well, I mean it, it's it's all kind of cool. It's kind of it combines the sci-fi but the late sixties kind of like man from uncle kind of spy show, uh, vibe or whatever. He's got like these futuristic gadgets in his apartment, like a typewriter that writes by itself when you speak, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's Super called theory. Yeah. It's, it's from the far out future. I mean, it's a literal typewriter. I mean, you know, and this is supposed to blow our minds, you know? Right. And this computer that takes up like half a room, you know, which it's, you know, uh, yeah. But, um, but, but I, I always, I thought he, him as a character was really cool. He had this cat called Isis. It was like this black cat. Um, and there's something, you know, he talks to the cat and it's almost like his partner, you know, and, and the cat seems sort of very intelligent and do all kinds of things. And his secretary was like some cute blonde. What was her name? Terry Gar. Yeah, um, it was Terry Gar as um, yeah. uh, the uh, Miss Car- Lincoln. Miss Lincoln, that's right. Yeah. And, I mean, it would have made a great show. And you just think, like, what a missed opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so John Byrne takes these characters and imagines, like, their further adventures in comic book form. Um, and John Byrne, you know, he's a great comic book artist, great writer. And and the book, I had a lot of fun reading it because it reads like a, a late 60s television show. 
you know, it, it very much has that vibe. Um, and um, the, the Star Trek characters kind of make a cameo, but it's not really about them. It's about Gary Seven and, and Miss Lincoln and the cat Isis who uh, sometimes appears as an exotic, beautiful woman, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it was a great book and definitely worth checking out. And um, I, I, I would, if they if he made another uh, storyline with them, I'd definitely pick it up. Um, I, I also read, I, I checked out the Star Trek uh, Green Lantern uh, crossover. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like you said, it's, it's, it's with the, the reboot Captain Kirk and Spock from the movies, um, and 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 the Green Lantern, and and um, I thought that was it was kind of fun. I, I kind of just checked out the first couple episodes. I wasn't blown away, but there was definitely yeah. things about it that um, you know I, I, I might consider going back and reading the rest of it. Um, it I, I liked the the, the um, rapport between how how Jordan and Captain Kirk like. You know, that's, you know, how Jordan's sort of like the Captain Jordan, buddy. <laughs> like, you know, he's got military rank, just like, yeah. just like he does. Um, and, uh, I mean, and, and, and some of the Star Trek characters uh, get the, the different colored lantern rings. Um, so, and that's kind of fun. It's sort of exciting to see these two bleed over. I, I checked out some of the Peter David uh, Star Trek comics as well. Yeah. Uh, he's always been a, a writer that I've, I've enjoyed. Uh, so I picked up some of his Star Trek, and, and, and those were pretty cool. Some of them were better than others. They were they seemed largely based in the, um, the, the movies. Like, so they were older versions of the original characters, you know? It was like, it was the heavy set Scotty with the mustache. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, in fact, yeah. one of the stories that I read that I really liked was all about Scott and, and like delving deep into his character and his backstory and his love life, which I, I thought was really pretty interesting. Uh, so I, I think there's some good Star Trek stuff out there as far as the comic books go. And I, 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 my appetite's been wet a bit. I'd like to check more of it out. Yeah, you know, you hit the nail on the head with the with the character stuff. You know, sometimes people do this, like, the whole, like, Star Trek versus Star Wars comparison thing, which is fun because fanboys like to, to yell at each other on the internet. But, um, but really, um, you know, Star Trek is a different sort of animal than Star Wars. It's a different sort of animal than a lot of, you know, Buck Rogers or, or various other kinds of, like, space opera type uh, adventures are it is much more about uh, character relationships and much more about the sort of ethical dilemma right the question how do we behave how do we act in a, a civilized society uh, what does it mean to you know and so and some sometimes that involves these not very well hidden social agendas you know uh the episode with um uh frank uh gorshin is that his name the, the guy the yeah the guy who played the riddler was yeah, in frank a, yeah episode in the third season of star trek where he came from a planet where half the where people were half like 
half black and half white. So half his body was painted white and half his body was painted black. And then, like, he didn't get along with the other guy from his planet because that guy was also half black and half white, but it was on the opposite side of his body. And it it was, you know, stuff like that. It's like, hmm, I wonder what they're uh, riffing on in the late 60s with this episode. Um, But, you know, it's more than just... I think sometimes people think that all that is is really just, like, fill in for, for politics and stuff. And, okay, you know, th- this group of uh, aliens is supposed to be the Russians and, you know, whatever. Um, it, it's And that stuff is definitely there, but I think it's actually much more... It's much smaller than that. It's much more like, how do I behave as a virtuous person? It's really virtue-based. It's really like, what does that mean to to be good? Um, what does it mean to be truthful? What does it, you know, what is the price that you are willing to pay for your honesty, right? What line are you never going to cross, even if it means your life? Like, those are the sort of questions that Star Trek asks over and over and over again. Um, and it's actually one of the reasons why I've had a lot of difficulty getting into the newer films. I, I, I liked the most recent of them. Um, I, I feel like they've been getting better as they've gone. But I had a lot of trouble initially because, uh, especially with the, the first of those films, they really kind of made a, a smash-bam-wow special effects film and kind of missed... <laughs> You know, like what what Star Trek's always really been about, which is this sort of like interplay between those characters and those relationships matched with these sort of, um, you know, morality plays. Yeah, that's one thing. I think, you know, the fact that it deals with virtue and what it means to be a good person, as you said, is one of the things I picked up on in reading graphic novel that I did and even looking back on the television show it's that whole Star Wars versus Star Trek thing on some levels is just bogus argument because they are two very different animals and I feel like whereas Star Wars is a lot more about the sci-fi action piece of it Star Trek has been a lot more about the underlying ethical situations and how they're dealt with the seems that the whole space bit is just the backdrop in which it's set yes. a lot of times. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I think that Star Trek, um, it, it's also, yeah, it's, it's kind of about morality. It's kind of about uh, um, social critique, you know, set in the far future. And that way, it also, but it also presents um, a utopian society that, that in many ways... Um, critiques our own or, or, or um, you know, cast a vision for, for what our own future might be. I mean, one of the most striking things about the original Star Trek television show, um, especially for its time, was just how diverse its cast was. I mean, you have this kind of um, collection, this, this, this uh, you know, this, this, this crew that represents people from all over the globe. You know, you have have an Asian man, you have a Scottish guy, you have a Russian guy, you have American, um, you have a Vulcan. (laughs) I mean, it's sort of this picture of the world kind of united and and 
living in harmony. Um, very, very relevant for the time. I mean, I, 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 I'm kind of struck by the fact that they had a Russian on board, which, um, you know, from the 60s, that was a powerful statement. Here we are, you know, together exploring the stars. Um, and Star Trek's famous for the first interracial kiss on television. So the, the kind of utopian vision, um, it, cast, it, it cast a vision for society and also kind of um, critiqued some of the inequities in, in our society, I think. Yeah, uh, I, I think you're you're right on about that. I mean, certainly that's always been an uh, an element of Star Trek is the um, utopian vision uh, of what a society could be, and it gets a lot of credit for um, particularly uh, going over racial divides um, and making very intentional choices about that, um, and. Uh, and and also as the show goes on, um, questioning uh, divides over sexism and so forth, which in the early series they didn't do quite as well with. Not so much <laughs> <laughs> with their little short skirts and so forth. Uh, but uh, but certainly by the time uh, we get at least part of the way into Next Generation, that that becomes a major theme as well and continues to be a major theme in, in Trek. Um, but you know the other the flip side of that, of course, and I mean thinking about this from a God and Comics perspective is, um, you know, and something that often gets brought up is that there's a kind of humanist approach and a particularly an atheistic approach, right? I mean Gene Roddenberry, who created the series, was certainly an atheist, um, and part of his vision for what this utopian uh, society of the future would look like, where everybody you know, there wasn't poverty anymore and people didn't go to war on the planet Earth anymore and, you know, all of our all of our enemies were external. Um, uh, part of his vision of that was that religion would disappear. Mm. Yeah, so. there's that element. Um, have you guys, you, you remember the, um, the episode in the original series with Apollo? Yes. Where they're flying through space, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the, the Enterprise gets captured by this, you know, being that's living on this other planet. Well, it turns out to be the Greek god Apollo. And, and he brings them down to the planet and is sort of this arrogant, you know, like you might imagine a Greek god to be, this arrogant kind of being that he's like, I'll give you paradise if you just worship me, you know. But they're trapped, they're prisoners, you know. And... uh there's this one line in that episode that kind of struck me um, because, you know, he's trying his best to get them to worship him. And, you know, I think it's, it's you know, it's kind of a critique on religion, let's be honest, right? Um, and Captain Kirk says, we have no need of gods anymore, you know? And, he, and but, but then he adds, we find the one sufficient. Get the impression, though, that 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 was sort of like the network censors uh, or something being like, well, you should add this. That's, a, that's exactly right. That's exactly what that was, uh, was uh, pressure. There was pressure to add that line in. It's one of the only times that uh, religion is explicitly mentioned um, in, the, in the series. 
uh, and they they do add that in. Yeah, I mean, you also have, I mean, you know, something like Star Trek V, where um, this uh, whole encounter with God, who turns out to be sort of false, and you have this kind of confrontation between Kirk and quote-unquote God at the end, and uh, God just turns out to be another angry alien of some sort. Um, and you know, you, you get that stuff from time to time in the series. Um, but I mean, Roddenberry couldn't be quite as heavy handed on the religion stuff as I think he would have liked to have been because, you know, we were still a religious enough country while he was writing these things that it would have gotten him knocked off the air. But I, you know, what's interesting about that, I think is so Star Trek starts out as Roddenberry's vision and it very much was, I mean, you know, I, I, you have to give the man credit for having created two incredible series. I mean, he created both the original series and the next generation, um, and, uh, created all of those characters and, and really gave life to them. Um, but his, his vision had limitations to it, as even the writers in the original series found, um, and especially in The Next Generation, because he envisioned a world where there was no conflict. And it's really hard to write a show about no conflict. <laughs> it kind of takes away the show. Um, and so from the very beginning, you have other writers and other sorts of people coming in with, and, and adding to that vision. And one of the beautiful things I think about Star Trek is because it is so expansive. As I was mentioning before, you have all these little kind of nooks and crannies to it. And so the vision has grown over time. It has expanded as different people have have gotten their hands into it and onto it. And, um, you know, I mean, um, uh, Roddenberry died in, I want to say, 91, something like that. Um, there have been a lot of people who have worked worked on Star Trek since then. And so you, you see how, um, for instance, in Deep Space Nine, you were mentioning Deep Space Nine earlier, Father Matt, you know, religion suddenly becomes a major part of the Star Trek universe. You, universe. you have the Bajorans who have these orbs that, you know, that they connect with the spirit through. Um, you have uh, a, 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 a Klingon religion that kind of got started in the next generation, but really gets developed in deep space nine, uh, where they're followers of Kalis, who's kind of a Christ figure of sorts. Um, and, um, you know, slowly, but surely it just kind of starts to creep in around the edges. And I, so I, I find that fascinating. And I, I think that, I think that that's a byproduct, oddly enough, as much as Roddenberry wouldn't like to hear this, um, I think that's a byproduct of what he had started because when you create something that's the whole goal of which is to uphold virtue and to express the ideal of, of the virtuous life, of the good life, you cannot help but at some point press up against God. I mean, you know, that's just that's just kind of all there is to it. Like, eventually, you're going to run into some sort of first principle situation. And where are we where are we drawing all this from? And why are we why do we want to be virtuous in the first place? And what's our standard of virtue that we're looking up to? And all of these things eventually lead back to some sort of um, spiritual reckoning. And I think um, 
I think that Star Trek has had to has had to deal with that. I hope that they have to deal with it again at some point. You know, one of the things that's happened in in the most recent, I think, with the recent movies and especially in the new Discovery TV show, uh, it's gotten a lot grittier. Um, all of a sudden, in the in the the new show, you know, we're not so sure about how good people are. I mean, Roddenberry Star Trek, man, people are basically good. They mess up, but they're basically good. Star Trek Discovery has the exact opposite anthropology. People are basically terrible. <laughs> see, well, I, I, I haven't seen uh, Star Trek Discovery, and I, I, I'm, I'm very interested to see it. And uh, that's that's fascinating. It really is. Uh, you know, I, I did notice Peter David from time to time uh, brings religion into his comics that he, he's writing. I think he does it. You know, I, you know, I'm curious about what the the motive is because it, it it it's 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 unusual how much it pops up. It but it makes his characters more human. He, he acknowledges that dimension of life, and and I, in one of the uh, Star Trek series, um, they, there was a funeral or something, and they showed like a religious service aboard the Enterprise, mm. and there and there was a priest. And he was wearing these far-out futuristic vestments, you know. I, <laughs> I, I don't know what the heck, you know, is going on, but, like, yeah. Uh, they, they don't look like any vestments of any uh, Christian uh, church currently, although you never know what they're going to be up to in the future. There are so many more things that, that we could say. There's so many th- more things that I could say. I could, I could spend all day on this. Uh, but uh, we, we do need to, to move on. Uh, but we'd love to hear from you all. If you have some thoughts about Star Trek and especially about Star Trek comics, let us know, will, will you? Um, you can tweet at us at God and Comics, uh, or you can catch up with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash God and Comics. We'd love to hear from you there. But for now, we're going to move on to our final segment, This or That. This or that, this or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Huh? Okay, Father Matt, what do you have for us? Well, the, the first one I have is for you, Deacon Jonathan. And uh, you knew this was coming. Mm-hmm. Kirk or Picard? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, that is tough, man. And, there, you know... Um, I actually am thinking in my brain about who I will tick off with which answer to that question. Um, I love both of them, you know? I love Kirk. I love Picard. Um, I think if I absolutely have to choose, I would come down to Picard. I I really do, because next-gen... holds even even though i was exposed to the original series before next gen you know i was seven when that show came on the air and and kind of uh, grew up with it and it uh, it just it has a different sort of place for me than than almost anything in um in in popular culture does and plus patrick stewart is just brilliant that said uh i think in a fist fight kirk would probably win <laughs> <laughs> And I do love I do love Kirk, especially uh, Kirk from the original series and from the from the original movies. 
uh, is, uh, you know, is an, is a fascinating character. I wish that, uh, you know, Star Trek Generations, the one film where the two of them meet, um, so many missed opportunities in that, uh, because like, you know, they, these two great captains of these two great ships with these two great styles. And what do they do when they finally get together? Well, they make breakfast together and then they go horseback riding. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's really not, uh, you know, and I like that film, but it's just like that part of it just kind of fell flat for me. But anyhow, uh, you know what? I don't even think I've seen that movie again since I've seen it in the movies. When it came out. Oh well, I own um, it, so Father Kyle, Lost in Space, or Land of the Lost. Uh, I probably will have to say Land of the Lost. I used to love Land of the Lost. So did I. Was I. Such a good TV show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a lot more experience with that than Lost in Space. I think I've seen a few Lost in Space episodes. But, Was Land yeah. of the Lost a good TV show, though? Was well, it? Oh, come on. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good at the time when you were a kid. Absolutely. So. Hey, you know what? If you want to see some, some good uh, TV, check out the reboot of Lost in Space on Netflix. Yeah. It got kind of mixed reviews, but for my money, I... I I adored it. I loved it. I enjoyed it very much. Um, okay, uh, Father Jonathan, or Deacon Jonathan. Sorry. You've already <laughs> ordained him up. I know, right? <laughs> um, this one's for you. Father Mitch Pacwa <laughs> or Craven the Hunter? Or Craven the Hunter? I, I, will, I will go with Father Mitch Pacwa. Um, because, uh, you know, he, he, uh, speaks the truth of the Catholic faith and his teachings about the catechism and Craven the Hunter just, you know, hunts people, which is not, not a great thing to do. So, (laughs) all right. Okay. Um, uh, this one's for you, Father Kyle. Um, the presiding Bishop Michael Curry or chicken curry. <laughs> I knew this couldn't end well. <laughs> you placed me into a very awkward position. <laughs> Which one's the spiciest? <laughs> I'm going to go with chicken curry. <laughs> Just simply because I love chicken curry and we'll let it live at that. It's delicious. That's right. Deacon Jonathan. Um, yes, sir. Shai Lin or Show Baraka? I'm going to go with Show Baraka because uh, he has a he has a kid with autism. Oh so. yeah. I didn't know that about him. Both are Christian rappers for. Those who are rappers with a heavy Christian content. Yeah, he's got this. He's, he spits this really. I don't know either of those guys terribly, terribly well, but um, but Show Baraka spits this verse on um, on uh, on a propaganda track. There's a there's a really good rapper named Propaganda who you guys should check out. Um, uh, who has this track called "I Ain't Got an Answer." And uh, Show Baraka spits a verse on it, and he talks about his his kid's autism in it, and it 
pretty much makes me ball every time I hear it. All right, uh, this one's for for you, uh, Father Kyle. The Ant Man or the Atom? You know, I probably would say Ant Man. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like Ant Man a lot. You know, the Atom I've got less exposure to, and then there've been a multiple Atoms. There've been multiple Ant Mans to have it there. But, yeah, <laughs> um, I kind of like. Um, the original Ant-Man from the Avengers, so I'm going to go with Ant-Man on this. Ant-Man? That's a respectable choice there. It's, it's incorrect, but it's respectable. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I, you know what? I, I, I'm going to have to... I, I, there's there's a, 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 a trade paperback of the Atom at the library that I, I have my eye on. I'm going to have to check that out. Um... But um, this one's for you, uh, Father Jonathan, or Deacon Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I, uh, um, Fonzie the Bear, or the Fonz? Did you call him Fonzie? I was, I was going to say it's it's Fozzie the Bear, not Fonzie the Bear. I would now if there was a Fonzie the Bear, I would go with that. I mean, if there was some way you could combine Fozzie and Fonzie into a bear. <laughs> Fonzie? No, it's Fozzie. Fozzie the Bear. Waka waka. Fozzie the Bear or the Fonz? You know, I'm still stuck on Fonzie the Bear. I'm like picturing this happening now. I think that's the correct answer. (laughs) The Fonzie the Bear. That's right. Father Kyle, toilet paper. Okay, toilet paper. Over or under? Over. I hate under. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, You can find out more about the rad stuff we talked about on this episode by going to our website at godandcomics.com. And while you're there, you can give the show another listen. God and Comics is subscribable through iTunes. And we ask you, yes, you... You, listening to this right now, I'm speaking to you specifically. Go to iTunes and give us a rating and or a review. It helps other people to find the show. Go do it now. Don't wait. Do it now. Our theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to right this minute, is by Father Paul Wheatley, who has violated the Prime Directive a whopping 217 times in the last year mostly by introducing primitive alien cultures to Magic the Gathering. Until next time, I'm Deacon Jonathan Michigan. I'm Father Matt Strumberg. And I'm Father Kyle Tom. And we'll see you.